Hear the word of the Lord from John 15. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Have you ever been treated with hatred and hostility because you were a Christian. When I was growing up, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, had a, what should we call him, companion, to use her terms, after my grandfather died in the early 80s. And they were companions, as she called it, for many years. And this man treated our family with hatred and hostility. And he would go on long, vulgar tirades of cursing us and our family and God. One summer, my mother broke her leg. She spent the summer in a cast from her toes to her waist in a recliner with her leg propped up all summer long. When my grandmother and her companion came to visit, he cursed at my mother for being lazy and not getting out of the chair to cook him a meal. On another visit, I spent a few days with my grandmother and I sitting there, bored out of my mind, watching the Cubs game. She always watched the Cubs. Using my cap gun and the baseball players on the TV screen as target practice. 
I accidentally set off a cap in their living room. The dogs went crazy, barking and yelling and screaming and running all over the living room. Gave my grandmother a heart attack, not literally, and scared her companion half to death. And he proceeded to unleash a vulgar verbal assault of curses directed towards me. The worst thing he ever did to my family, I remember, was my grandmother had set aside a few family heirlooms, including my grandfather's uh, watch that he had. And her companion, without her consent, took those belongings, gathered them up, put them into one of his old cigar boxes, and sold the whole box at a garage sale for a few dollars. And we were never to see those items ever again. As a child, I couldn't understand why we spent time around him. I couldn't understand why we were nice to him. I couldn't understand why every Christmas we needed to buy him and bring him a Christmas present. I couldn't understand why when we visited my grandmother, we even needed to acknowledge his presence on this earth. Clearly, he hated God. Clearly, he treated us with hatred and hostility for, Christian, for being Christians and just for being around and breathing the same oxygen as him. And there was no reason for us to, to do anything for him. And I remember my father time and time again reminding us over and over and over that the reason he treated us with hatred and hostility was because he had hatred and hostility towards God. And if we did not share a Christian witness with him, who would? And he would be unlikely to ever see or receive a Christian witness in his life. In our text today, I want you to see in this passage what Jesus explains very clearly, doesn't he? Jesus does not mince words here. What you and I will receive for serving Him. What we are in for as Christians. That if we dare to be Christians, if we dare to be disciples, Jesus explains in this passage of Scripture what we should expect. And what is that? What should we expect as Christians in this world? Well, I want you to see in this passage, number one, do not be surprised when the world treats you with hatred and hostility. That's what the world does, isn't it? The world treats Christians with hatred and hostility. I read verse 17 because I want you to notice the contrast between verses 17 and 18. Jesus has just given the disciples a long explanation about treating one another with love and enjoying and increasing in love towards one another. And we should expect an increase of love between each other in the church. When we come to the church, we should expect, not a perfect church, but we should expect a loving church and to enjoy Christian fellowship with 
one another. And Jesus gives the instructions to his disciples so that they will love one another. That's what Christians should expect from the church. But when Christians leave the church, when the Christians go out into the world, Jesus lets them know what they should expect from the world. And what is it that they should expect from the world? Look at verse 18. They should expect hatred from the world. Jesus uses the word world here. He's referring to the, the social order of the world that is in rebellion against God, the kingdom of this world that is antithetical to God's rule and reign in this, in this uh, present age in which we live in. And so Jesus tells them that the world is going to hate you. The world is going to treat you with hatred and hostility. And Jesus tells them why, and that is because verse 18 says, it has hated me before it hated you, Jesus says. And so you as a Christian, you as a disciple, should expect that just as the world has hated Jesus, rejecting Jesus, turning their eyes from the light that Jesus gives and closing their hearts to the good news of the Gospel that Jesus provided when He was on this earth, Christians should expect the same, is what Jesus says. And the reason that the world does that is because it hated Jesus first. No, don't take it personally. It's not just you. It's not because you're so, you know, unlovable or something like that. It is your association with Jesus. You are guilty in the world's eyes because of your association with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives two reasons here why the world hates Christians. And I want you to see this here beginning in verse 19. Beginning in verse 19. The reason that the world hates Christians is because Christians are not of the world. We are not of the world, Jesus says that in verse 19. He's so crystal clear. Look at your Bibles. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you fit into the mold of the world, if you thought about life the way that the world thought about life, if you had the same morality that the world has, if you had the same value system for marriage and for family and for worship and about God and about your work and about money, all these things, if you have the same value system as the world, the world would love you as its own. But because, Jesus says, you are not of the world, the world hates you. Jesus has called you out of the world, He says in verse 19. I chose you out of the world. You're no longer of the world, Jesus says. Once you were of the world, once you were in this present evil age serving the kingdom of darkness, but now you have been called into the marvelous light of the Lord and King Jesus Christ. And because of that, everything is different for you as a Christian. And the world no longer considers you part of their own. And because of that, because you are not of the world, the world hates you. Jesus reminds them of a parable that he, or a, a, a proverb he has told them in verse 20. A servant is not greater than his master. 
He's told them that already in the Gospel of John. You and I, we have a new king, King Jesus. We serve him, and we are not greater than our king, are we? And if there is hatred and hostility from the world towards our king, well, there will be hatred and hostility toward those servants who serve the king. And so Jesus tells his disciples, they're going to hate you. They are going to treat you with hatred and hostility. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, he says in verse 20. Don't be surprised. This is coming for you. They are going to persecute me and nail me to a cross. Jesus is preparing them for that. But not only for his own persecution, not only for his own arrest, not only for his own hatred and hostility that he's going to receive from the world, but Jesus' disciples too, in like fashion, will receive persecution and hatred and hostility. And even some of them will be arrested and will become martyrs. However, there's a glimmer of hope, Jesus says here. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So as Christians go and share the testimony of God's grace in their life, as they go and share the gospel, that just as we receive the gospel, when God called us out of darkness and to light, so too there will be those when the gospel is shared with them. They will receive the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. They too will put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will accept that word. So there will be those who come to saving grace, Jesus is saying. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus is saying, ultimately, the reason that they're doing this is because the world doesn't know God. The world doesn't know the one who sent Jesus to die for sins. The world does not know the one who was God in the flesh, who dwelt among us, who revealed God to humankind. They don't know Him. And because of that, they treat His followers with hatred and hostility because Christians are not of the world. There's a second reason why I want you to see in this passage, and this heightens the hatred and hostility. Not only are Christians not of the world, but the gospel exposes sin, doesn't it? So not only are you and I strangers and aliens and weirdos to the world, but our gospel witness exposes the sin of the world. Think about what Jesus did. He is the light that's come into the world. This is told to us in the Gospel of John. He's the light from God. He's the light of the world. And how did the world respond to that light? Well, the world hated the light. Why did they hate the light? Because the light shined the light into men's hearts and revealed their hearts to be sinful. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Sounds like another church service. <laughs> Jesus is saying here that if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty to sin. Part of 
Jesus' life and, and ministry here is to expose sin. And so, in His ministry, they are now more guilty of sin. There is no more plausible deniability for the world. The world can no longer stand before God and say, I did not know I was in my sin. For Jesus has come and He has exposed their guilt of sin. They have no excuse for it, Jesus says in verse 22. And as a result, they respond with, with what? Verse 23, hatred and hostility towards Jesus and toward His Father. Jesus has given them His works. Jesus has given them His signs. Signs and works that no one else had done, He says. And they are guilty in their sin. Why? Because they have rejected the Gospel. The Gospel has come. It has exposed their sin. And they because they love their sin, have turned from the light. And this is the reason that the world hates Christians. Because they are not of the world and because their gospel witness exposes sin. I wonder if you ever heard the story about a man named August Landmasser. You ever heard the name August Landmasser? August Landmasser... He joined the Nazi party in 1931. He began to move up the ranks. Two years after he had joined the Nazi party, he met a woman named Irma Eckler, a Jewish woman. And they fell in love, August and Irma did. When the Nazi party learned of Landmesser's relationship with Irma Eckler, he was expelled from the Nazi party. Landmesser and Eckler filed for a marriage certificate, and under the new Nuremberg race laws in Germany that the Nazi regime had enacted, her being a Jew, and he being a German, their request for marriage was denied by the Nazi government. The two decided to continue their union anyway. On June 13th, 1986, August uh, Landmesser attended a Nazi rally at a shipyard in Hamburg where Hitler was there, not only christening a new vessel for his navy, but also giving a speech and a political rally. And there was a photograph taken in Hamburg of Landmesser's fellow countrymen there, all giving their salute to Hitler, doing the, what do they call that, the Sieg Heil, the the Hail Hitler, hailing Hitler as their Lord, essentially. And Landmesser can be seen in a throng of his German countrymen. In the photograph, arms crossed, scowl on his face, refusing to pledge his allegiance to a tyrannical, demonic 
murderous, despot, and regime. In 1937, Landmaster and his family attempted to flee to Denmark. He was arrested at the border and charged with dishonoring his race for his union with a a Jewish woman. He was sentenced to three years in a German Nazi concentration camp. And after serving three years, he was dragged back into the military in 1942. Irma was sent to a female concentration camp where she gave birth to their second child and presumably was put to death as so many were in those horrible camps during this war. Landmesser was declared missing in action in Croatia after he was dragged back into the conflict. Why was Landmesser and Irma Eckler and their two children treated with such hatred and hostility and persecution by the Nazi regime? I'll tell you why. Because they refused their allegiance to the Nazi party. Even though they were Germans, they decided that they uh, would not bend the knee to Hitler, a murderous despot. It's the same reason why the world treats Christians with hatred and hostility too, isn't it? Though we were once members of a kingdom of darkness, we have been called into a kingdom of light. Even though there is a ruler and prince and power of the air in this present evil age, we serve another king whose kingdom is not of this world, who rules and reigns on his throne in the kingdom of light, and the Lord is making all his enemies his footstool. And because of that, the world hates us and treats us with hatred and hostility. It doesn't seem fair, though, at many times, does it? Christians didn't do anything to deserve such treatment. In fact, we want what is good for the world, don't we? The spread of the gospel is a good desire that Christians have. We desire to be good neighbors, and we desire to live quiet and peaceful lives. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. It's not reasonable that the world should treat Christians with hatred and hostility. Jesus says here in verse 25, quoting Psalm 35 or Psalm 69 or perhaps both, what does He say? They hated Me without cause. They hated Jesus without cause. And they will hate you and Me without cause. Even though we desire what is good for the world, we've switched sides. We've left the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light. And our only creed now is Jesus is Lord. And we bend the knee only to Him. And because of that, the world treats Christians with hatred and hostility. So what are we to do then? Are Christians just supposed to pack our bags and find a piece of property hundreds of miles away from civilization and live off-grid? Are we to just hide away until Jesus returns? Are we to flee? Are we to retreat? Absolutely not. 
in no way, shape, or form. There is great help for us as Christians, even though we receive hatred and hostility. And what is that help? I want you to see that here in this passage. The Spirit helps Christians despite the hatred and hostility from the world. Let's not forget the context in which Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit to come. Look at verse 26. What is Jesus saying? There is help coming for you, Jesus says. Think about the boldness that the disciples had while Jesus was present with them. Physically present with them. They had boldness when Jesus was there. They were bold to declare the Gospel. They were bold to declare uh, that Jesus is Lord. They were willing to be sent out uh, by Jesus to spread the Gospel. But Jesus is going to depart. But there's help coming, Jesus says. Look at verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. We've already been introduced in John chapter 14 to this Helper, haven't we? The word in Greek is paraclete. And it's a, a struggle to know even how to interpret this word. Should we translate this word as helper, as the ESV does here? It's right and appropriate to do so. Should we translate this word as counselor? Maybe as advocate? Maybe as comforter? All those are valid translations of the word paraclete. Maybe we should just use the word paraclete. And that would be an appropriate way to treat this word. Because if we try to pigeonhole and put into a box the work of the Holy Spirit to one area only, we, we limit our understanding of the reason that God gives Him to us. Helper is certainly an appropriate term, but the work of the Spirit that He provides to us is so much more than just help. Even as Jesus says, He bears witness. To Jesus. He takes the message in the Gospel of Jesus Christ and makes it bear fruit is what Jesus is saying here. He carries on the work of Jesus and the hearts and lives of those who hear the Gospel message. And that is the Spirit who dwells not just with a few Christians, not with just a few disciples as Jesus did when He was on earth, but the Spirit comes to dwell with who? all those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, Jesus will go on to say, it is better for us that Jesus departs. Why? Because the Spirit abides with all of Jesus' disciples. As a result, what will His disciples do? Look at verse 27. You also will bear witness. So notice the Notice the, the progression here. Jesus came from the Father and He bore witness to the Father. When Jesus goes back to the Father, He sends the Spirit and the Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And as a result of that, the disciples, they go and they do what? Well, they bear witness. This is the work of the Spirit in their life. So the Spirit is at work bearing witness to Jesus. And as a result, the disciples Go and bear witness to Jesus and to the good news of the Gospel. 
Jesus tells them, verse 27, you've got to do this. Why? You've been with me from the beginning. So it's hard not to see here Jesus setting aside the disciples here to be his apostles. They go and they bear witness to the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they ponder that and have supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit as they reflect back on the Old Testament about the significance of Jesus' life and ministry and death and burial and exaltation. And as a result, they do what? Well, they inscripturate it. They write that testimony down to bear witness for the church of all ages about the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That What about us today? Well, whenever we declare God's Word, then we are doing what? We are following in the path that they have paved for us. And we are declaring the witness of Jesus Christ. I shared with you a few minutes ago about my grandmother's companion who treated us with such hatred and hostility because he treated God with hatred and hostility. And as far as our family knows, more than about 20 years ago, he died in that hatred and hostility. However, my grandmother did not. She died last year. She spent the last few years of her life under the care of my mother in my parents' home. Last year, my father relayed a story to me that he went into the room to visit my grandmother one day after work. He went into her room and she began to cry. She talked to my dad. And she knew she was elderly. She knew her health was failing her. She had many complicated health conditions compiling on top of each other. She began to tell my dad that she was afraid to meet God. She began to tell my father about the horrible things that she had done in her life. Many things that my father knew about. Some things my father did not know about. And my dad looked at his mom, my grandmother, and he said, Ma, as he always called her, he's from Michigan, you don't have to be afraid to meet God. You need to take your sins and confess your sins to God. You need to repent of your sins. And God is so kind and loving, He will pardon you for your sins. He will forgive your sins. And one day, when you stand before God after you die, you will be pardoned from your sins and He will joyfully receive you for all eternity into His presence. Do you want to do that? Do you want to pray right now and confess your sins to Jesus and confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life? So on that day, my grandmother, that's what she did. At the end of her life, 
unable to walk, needing oxygen to breathe, having been the scorn of so much hatred and hostility, having lived a very hard and sinful life. My grandmother, at the end of her life, confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's only now that I have some perspective on the reason. Going all those years back, why my father shared with me that we needed to endure such hatred and hostility. Here's the reason why. The world's hatred and hostility cannot hinder the gospel. In my grandmother's life, the gospel would not be hindered. And even though I wondered as a kid, why doesn't grandma come to church with us? The gospel would not be hindered. And at the appointed time, it bore, it bare fruit in her life. I want to tell you this hard truth as you think about loved ones and family members and friends in your life who are not Christians, people that you have been praying for, people that you have been witnessing to, and people who treat you with hatred and hostility. The leaven of the gospel is not always apparent. You can't always see its work in people's lives. Sometimes the hatred and hostility will make you think that they haven't heard a single word that you have said, that God hasn't answered a single prayer that you have prayed for them to come to saving faith. And let me just encourage you, have a little faith. The Gospel, the leaven of the Gospel is working through that lump of dough. And at the appointed time, it will bear forth the beautiful fruit of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Hatred and hostility can't hinder the Gospel. Hatred and hostility cannot hinder the Gospel. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a final point here in this passage that you and I need to consider, and that is what happens when hatred and hostility becomes persecution? What happens when hatred and hostility becomes persecution? Jesus uses the word here already in this passage in verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So, the hatred and hostility, it intensifies, it becomes worse, and Christians become the object no longer of just hatred and hostility. They become the object of persecution. What happens? Let me give you some hope. Christians will persevere when hatred and hostility becomes persecution. That's what Jesus teaches here in this passage. Look with me at chapter 16, verse 1. This is the reason that Jesus has shared this with the disciples. Look at verse 1. I have said all these things to you. For what reason, Jesus? To keep you from falling away. Carson, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, he says, the greatest threat to the disciples is not death. Think about that for a moment. The greatest threat to these disciples is not dismemberment. It's not being burned at the stake. It's not being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. It's not being arrested. 
That's not the greatest threat to the disciples. The greatest threat to the disciples is falling away in apostasy from the faith. And Jesus says, look at verse 1. Pay careful attention to this. The reason I have told you these things, Jesus says, is to do what? To keep you from falling away. Jesus says, you are going to persevere when persecution comes. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. What will the disciples do? They will persevere. They will persevere when they are ostracized from their family and friends and neighbors. They will persevere when their businesses close because people stop coming and doing business with them. They will persevere through all of that because Jesus has promised that they will do so. Indeed, Jesus says. Notice how he, Jesus goes all the way, right? He They'll put you out of the synagogues. You'll be ostracized from your community. And then he skips all the way to the end of what they will endure. Right? He goes from essentially the least to the worst in verse 2. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That's what's going to happen to you, disciples. They are going to arrest you and put you to death. And they are going to do that in offer of service to God. We think about the Apostle Paul here before he became the Apostle Paul. Commissioned as a Pharisee to go and arrest Christians and to put them to death. And we think about the the stoning of Stephen and how Paul was there holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Jesus says, this is coming for you. They're going to do this because they don't know the Father. They don't know Me. Jesus says in verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. What does the hour mean in the Gospel of John? The hour is a reference to Jesus' death. When the hour arrives for Jesus, when He says earlier in the Gospel, my hour has not come, what's He saying? It's not time for me to go to the cross. But when it is time for Him to go to the cross, what does Jesus say? My hour has come. The hour has come. The hour has arrived. And so Jesus says here, isn't it interesting, He says that the disciples are going to have an hour. Their life is is so wrapped up in Christ that just as Jesus was put to death, This will inaugurate an age when His followers will be put to death too. And just like the world has their hour of victory when it looks like they have overcome the Lord Jesus Christ, putting Him to death, ironically, that is their very undoing of sin, isn't it? The world's hour of greatest victory over Christ means the hour of victory over death, hell, and the grave. It means the hour when sin has been overcome. And what Jesus is saying here is that the world in that hour will think that they have overcome the Gospel, that they have defeated the Gospel. But the world's hatred and hostility cannot hinder the Gospel. I couldn't help but to think of Polycarp 
bishop of Smyrna. Church history tells us he was a disciple of the Apostle John, the author of this gospel. In fact, some even think that he was ordained as a bishop by the Apostle John and put in place in his office. Polycarp lived a long life as a pastor and as a theologian important in the work of the church. And Polycarp was arrested by the Romans. He was arrested for being a Christian. He was put on trial and found guilty for being a Christian. And the proconsul looked at Polycarp and he told him, he said, Polycarp, all you have to do is say, Caesar is Lord and we will give you a quick death. We will give you a painless death. You can bypass all the suffering, old man, if you will just bend the knee and say the words. What did Polycarp say? Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and He never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? You know what they did to Polycarp after he said those words? They burned him at the stake. You might be thinking, well, listen, Pastor, I don't have great faith like Polycarp. You know what? You're right. You don't have great faith. And neither did Polycarp. But he served a faithful Savior. And so do you. Hatred and hostility cannot hinder the Gospel. And we have the promise here in Jesus' words that we will be able to persevere when hatred and hostility becomes all-out persecution. Think about Jesus' words in Mark 13.11. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but who? The Holy Spirit. I want to ask you this morning, who has been treating you with hatred and hostility? And I want to remind you that hatred and hostility cannot hinder the Gospel. Keep shining the light. Keep praying. Keep bearing forth a faithful witness before that lost loved one, that lost family member, that lost child, that lost co-worker, that lost parent. Continue on. Endure the hatred and hostility. You have the Spirit's help. You, you've been given the Holy Spirit and He will bear witness through the means of your testimony in God's appointed time to bear a harvest of the Gospel in that person's life. And do not fear when persecution comes knocking on our door. For we have the promise of our Savior that we will not fall away. You want to know why? Hatred and hostility. It cannot hinder the Gospel. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises from Your Word. We thank You that You have already conquered death, hell, and the grave, and all Your enemies are being put under Your feet. 
We pray, Lord, that You would grant to us perseverance, even as You have promised in Your Word here. Help us to faithfully suffer the hatred and hostility from the world, bearing forth a witness to You. And Lord, would You be pleased to bless that by Your Spirit, calling many sons and daughters out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Your marvelous light. In His name we pray. Amen.